Hello, and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guests today are Natasha Doan Motzinger and Alyssa Saletti, both with Our House, an organization in Ypsilanti, Michigan that supports young people aging out of foster care. Natasha is the executive director of the organization, and Alyssa is the volunteer and outreach coordinator. Well, hello, Natasha and Alyssa. Thank you so much for joining the AOI podcast series. I'm so glad that you could participate. How are you both doing this morning? Good morning. We're great. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much for having us today. We're excited for it. Well, you're very welcome. I'm excited to hear about your organization. But first, what I'd like to find out from each of you, if you could, is to share how is it that you got connected to foster youth and the foster care system to begin with? And Natasha, maybe we can start with you. Sure. So my previous work was in the field of mental health counseling. That's what my master's degree is in. And I had spent the last five years working with individuals with disabilities. And there's a lot of crossover there within the populations. And when the job was posted at our house for the executive director, I felt drawn to it in part because I grew up in what we refer to as a foster adjacent situation. Thankfully, I had a lot of support from my extended family, but I felt like I could relate to the youth in some ways and that I could be useful. Wonderful. So for those who may not have heard that phrase, how would you describe foster adjacent? What does that mean? There's a lot of similarities, a lack of familial support. I thankfully had grandmother and aunts who were able to be there for me. But unfortunately, in my house, we did have a lot of similar experiences to what our kids went through with domestic violence and drug abuse, that sort of thing. The system was never formally involved in my case. So it's foster adjacent. Gotcha. That makes sense. All right. Alyssa, how about you? I'm relatively new to working with the foster care system. I've worked in a variety of different nonprofits over the last six years after getting my master's in social work and came across this job a little over a year ago. And this has really been my first formal introduction to working with youth who have experienced foster care. Okay. And how long have you been with our house? I've been with our house just a little over a year. I had my one year anniversary a couple months ago. So relatively new to the organization. I joined right before the pandemic hit. So it was a very interesting time to kind of hop on board and just get thrown right into everything that we were doing. And how about you, Natasha? How long have you been with our house? I was hired April 22nd of 2019. So I actually just finished my two-year anniversary as the ED for our house. So you came in right before COVID-19. As a brand new executive director. Yes, I did. (laughs) Much like many others, we there's no manual for this. Well, thank you both for sharing a little bit about yourselves. Now, how about your organization? What does Our House do to help young people who are aging out of the foster care system prepare for independence? That's a great question and probably a very long answer because our house tends to be very responsive to the needs of our youth as they occur. So we have quite expansive programming. A little history first. Our house was founded in 2012 when the court-appointed special advocate or CASA program in Washtenaw County was closed down. Many of our founders had been a part of the CASA program and knew that there was still a need to support foster youth in Washtenaw County. And so they came together to form our house. They operated as a fully functioning 
board only, volunteer only organization until 2018 when we received our major grant funder through Michigan Medical's Community Health Services Fund that allowed them to hire staff and expand their programming. Our mission and vision are quite simple. It's to help young people ages 14 through 25 successfully transition from foster care to adulthood. Our vision is that they become successful, self-sufficient, and can live independently with confidence. So that is how we they got started. Things obviously shifted significantly when they were able to get that large funder to come in and support our vision. And we were able to bring on four staff and expand our programming. But the cornerstone of our programming and what we started with and what is our foundation, and if everything else went away, we would still keep this as our mentoring program, which Alyssa is the best person to talk about. Absolutely. So one-to-one mentoring is the core component of our house because we recognize how important it is for young adults to have a positive role model. It's a really strong protective factor. And so our mentors serve not only as a teacher and as another person that that individual is able to connect with, but they also serve as an advocate and really making sure that they're receiving the benefits and the supports that they need. Our volunteer mentors go through a very lengthy application process They fill out an application, they're interviewed, we do background checks, references, and they have over five hours of training that they receive before they're actually matched with a young person. We talk about trauma-informed care, working with young people who've experienced poverty or homelessness, really helping them understand what the role of a mentor is. So once we feel like we have a good match, we're very intentional in that matching process. We don't just match our mentors with a young person because we have a need for it. We want to make sure that that's a really good fit, both for the mentor as well as for the mentee. So our mentees go through the same process where they have an application, they share with us their hobbies, their interests, and we really help identify what areas of need they have so we can make sure that they're being matched with a mentor who's going to be able to support them in that. Once they're matched with their mentor, there's a couple activities that all of our mentors and our mentees work on together. So they focus on what we call a personal development plan. And that's the young person identifying some short and some long-term goals that they have for themselves and identifying who can help support them achieve those goals. So for example, we had a young person who is working on practicing her English and she's studying for her citizenship test. And so her and her mentor right now are meeting on a biweekly basis and they're reading out loud together. They're making flashcards and studying for that citizenship test. And so she's really having that support, that supportive adult who's walking her through all the steps of that process. We also have our mentors work with our young people on building a monthly budget. So starting to encourage that fiscal responsibility understanding their spending habits, and really encouraging that saving so that they're starting to begin saving for their future and seeing the importance in doing so. All of our mentees meet with their mentor about one to two times a month. That's looked a little bit different during COVID. Some of our mentors have had a strictly virtual relationship and they've been doing phone calls or video calls. But typically, they're meeting one to two times a month and they're having weekly check-ins. So that might just be texting, seeing how they're doing, just having another person who's really involved in their life and engaging with them on a regular basis. But it's not just all seriousness, right? We recognize community building and having fun is so important. So prior to COVID, we had mentors and mentees who were going to movies, going to basketball games, maybe getting their nails done having a lot of fun too. So it's not just all the business and the seriousness, but there's fun as well. 
we actually have a mentee right now who is pregnant and she's expecting around December. So her mentor happens to own a pottery studio. And right now they're putting together some, throwing some clay, making some pottery so that she can get those to her family and her friends for Christmas. So when the baby comes, she doesn't have to worry about Christmas gifts. They're engaging in these fun activities. They're learning new things. And there's also, you know, serious conversations that come along with it. It can be very therapeutic to have conversations while also doing something with your hands. And that's something that resonates really well with that young person. So there's lots of fun activities as well as working on some life skills. And I would love to have Natasha talk a little bit more about what those life skills are. So our life skills program started with a monthly get-together, which is now known permanently as Second Saturday, because as you can guess, it occurs on the second Saturday of every month. And that is what we call a team mentoring event. So we encourage all of our participants and all of our mentors to come with or without their matched person so that we can help them build a sense of community. And on Second Saturdays, we cover a variety of different life skills. It's always something different. And we work very closely with our community partners. We've been very lucky to have a lot of people volunteer their time to come out and teach our youth vital skills that'll help them. So we've done everything from working with Zingermans, which if you were from the Ann Arbor area, I'm sure you know, they taught, they were very generous and taught all of our youth how to cook. We've done things like self-defense, money management and budgeting. We've done sexual health and healthy relationship courses with a focus on self-advocacy. We also did an entire series last summer to support the youth that we serve who were participating in protests regarding the Black Lives Movement for social identity, equity, and anti-racism trainings. This month is spring cleaning, so we also get into some of those hard skills and we're going to be teaching them how to make very inexpensive products on their own that can serve the same goals as some of the more expensive stuff that you would buy in the stores and how to organize and keep up with their stuff. And then in June, we will be providing an opportunity for our youth to become CPR and first aid certified. So our life skills programs are pretty varied. They also have the opportunity to go out and learn life skills one-on-one with their mentor. So they could potentially, as Alyssa mentioned, be working toward their citizenship or increasing their reading skills. That's something we want to support if it's related to their personal development goals. So they can receive support with that as well. All life skills, at least once a month, can be rewarded up to $35 a month in a stipend. So that's an additional incentive for them to come and join us for these events until they become comfortable with us. Sometimes that stipend makes a big difference, but eventually they just come because they want to. Additional financial support is another thing that we've been lucky enough through our donors and our grant funders to be able to provide to our youth. I have a 23-year-old daughter, and I think about all the things that I have done to help support her, whether that she's a little short on her rent or she, you know, her car broke down and she needs help. And me, as her parent, I am there to be able to provide that for her. Many of our youth do not have that safety net. So our house attempts to become that safety net so that we can prevent any snowball effect that might occur from a small problem. So the majority of our emergency funding, which each youth has a eligible for once they're in our program, up to $600 a year, goes towards car repairs, phone bills, Wi-Fi bills, things of that effect. Something that if you fall behind on it, it could lead to additional problems. So if your car breaks down and you can't get to work, you fall behind on your rent, then you're looking at housing instability. So 
our emergency funding has really been really very, very helpful in preventing worse problems from occurring. We also help with their education costs and try to make it possible for folks to focus more on school when they can. So we had a wonderful donation from the Roof Family Foundation that is a scholarship that we provide monthly reimbursements, $250 a month, up to $3,000 a year to two to three people who are pursuing a trade through the local community college. So they can reduce their hours at work. It helps them to be able to focus on their education. And we've actually seen the wonderful benefits of that. One of our youth who is a Roof Family Scholar is she has the highest GPA in her program. So it's been able, it's allowed her to reduce her hours and not worry so much about being stable financially. The other component that we have found is probably one of the more important ones to support foster youth as they age out of the system is related to housing. So we take a tiered approach to supporting our youth with that. We have a current program called Launchpad. We have a five-bedroom house in Ypsilanti where we have a resident manager that lives on site. We have youth that live in the house who either are exiting the care system and they need somebody who lives there a little bit more extra support to learn those independent living skills for the first time. And so the resident manager is useful there. Or we've had some folks who maybe they left the system at an early age and had some experiences that put them back, maybe a a failed rental history or some bad credit, and they need some time and space and support to be able to get back on their feet. And Launchpad has been very useful for that. After the Launchpad program, or even instead of that, we also offer monthly support in the form of housing scholarships. That is up to $250 a month to just offset the cost of housing in Washtenaw County, which is very, very high. And then finally, we just launched through support from United Way, our new program called Home Connections, which is a host home program where volunteers from the community who are willing agree to open up a room in their home for up to six months where one of our youth can live for free. We do have the funding to be able to provide a stipend to that family if they need it to be able to have the youth stay there. And the goal is that that person would be able to save money to get back on their feet. Or in some cases... A host home might be used for a student who has campus housing during the school year, but maybe doesn't have a place to stay over the summer. And a host might be able to take them in that situation as well. All of these programs are great, but I think that our newest addition has probably been one that we've relied on a lot during the past year of the pandemic. And that is our resilience program, which Alyssa can tell you a little bit more about. Yeah, our resilience programming is really focusing on the holistic wellness of our young people. So in terms of mental health supports, we work very closely with two therapists in the community who are able to get our young people in for appointments on a quick basis rather than having to go through weeks and weeks of waiting to finally get an appointment with a counselor. So we're able to get our young people into mental health supports very quickly and pay for them so that they don't have to financially pay for their own mental health supports. If we have a young person who's interested and has a therapist out in the community, we're able to offer support with co-pays and transportation to really mitigate those barriers to accessing mental health services. And we've also done a lot of group work recently. So we've had anxiety workshops, anger management workshops, and we had one of our participants who came to us and said he was really interested in a men's support group. And after doing some research, we couldn't find any available in the community. So we created one. 
And we got two counselors who are now doing this men's support group. They have self-named it Hemotions. And they're working in a supportive environment to provide that mental health support that was a gap in our community at the time. We also will pay for classes. We recognize that wellness and mental health is not just about our brains. It's also about our bodies, right? It's all tied together and intertwined. So we will support young people if they're interested in attending boxing classes or yoga classes or maybe a gym membership. We can provide that financial support to once again really mitigate those barriers to accessing those programming that's going to be good and healthy for them. During the pandemic, we also put together a wellness challenge. We've done this prior to the pandemic as well and really encouraging our young people to start building those healthy wellness habits. Maybe that's drinking water or journaling or doing some kind of physical activity, really encouraging that behavior that's not just about you know connecting with a therapist. We recognize that wellness is so much more than that and really wanting our young people to start developing those healthy habits. We've also connected with an organization called Youth Arts Alliance, and they are an amazing program that does art therapy. So during the pandemic, we had a session with our mentors and our mentees doing some artwork, some guided artwork. And we recently just ended a multi-week program with them where our young people were creating a space and building a process every week. Additionally, we started doing game nights. So we partnered with a student organization at the University of Michigan and had some of the students from that organization meet our participants We played Uno, Among Us, and really just trying to encourage that community building, those peer supports, which we know is such a huge component of a trauma-informed care approach. And the latest program that we started was a book club. So we are meeting on a monthly basis with a group of both our mentees and our mentors. The latest book we read was about Cicely Tyson and just starting to have conversations and engage in reading and have time for us to just continue to build community and connection with each other. And I know we've talked a lot. I think the last piece, kind of main piece of our programming is our youth action board. We recognize the importance of youth voice and collaborations at every level of our organization. So that's not just in them identifying the goals with their mentor that are important for themselves, but that's also having their voice influence our programming and influence the decision-making process of our organization. They also engage in community service projects, so researching and identifying a need in the community and and putting together a plan to address that. So they supported with distribution for the Flint water crisis and helping distribute water and gather water donations. They've helped at elementary school fundraising carnival, sorting through donations that are to be given to the foster closet. And it's really an opportunity for them to work collaboratively with others as well as to develop those leadership skills and professionalism. Wow, your organization really does a lot to assist young people who are aging out of foster care. Do you have full-time staff? And if so, how many? We do. There's only four of us. And we couldn't do it without the large amount of volunteer support that we get from our mentors. Okay, and how many mentors do you have? We have about 30 mentors and peer mentors at the moment. And how do you find your mentors? We post on Volunteer Match, on United Way, on a couple different volunteer sites. We also have a strong word of mouth within our organization. I love getting referrals from other mentors who know a family or a friend who might be interested. 
And so that's really our main source of getting referrals for our mentors. So one of the things that I've heard from many organizations that do have mentorship as part of their programming is that there's a challenge finding men who want to be mentors. Do you have that same challenge? We definitely have that same challenge. I've been excited. We've had a few, we've had a bit of an increase lately. We actually had an increase in volunteers over the pandemic. I think people were really wanting to help and to support others. And there was so much going on, not only in terms of the pandemic, but in terms of social justice movements in our country. And there was really this strong desire for people to volunteer and to do more work in their community. But we've definitely struggled in recruiting men mentor, male mentors. And I think it's about how we're recruiting and where we're recruiting. So we've started to go into more spaces, really diversifying the spaces that we're doing outreach in to try and connect with different populations of individuals. All right. So now that we know how you staff the organization, how many youth are you serving at this time? We served 39 individuals last year. So the number comes and goes. We've had some folks graduate from our program. We've had some folks move out of state, or we've had some individuals who say that they are stable and making enough money that they actually feel bad continuing to accept our support. So they move on, but in very positive ways. So while the number may go up and down right now, we do not have anybody who is not matched. And so we, I believe, are serving around 27 currently. All right. So the youth that you do serve, if I remember correctly, you provide services to youth to age 25? Well, actually, we serve through 26. And quite frankly, we've never asked anybody to leave. We have had people age out. And for some of our programs, the financial support in particular, we do need to reserve it for those who are under the age of 26. But nobody really leaves leaves. Graduation can look like most recently, one of our young people finished her bachelor's degree and moved to Atlanta to get her master's degree. So or one of our young people moved across the state to get married. So graduation can look like a variety of different things, but ideally it's some form of independence. Do the mentors maintain relationships with the young people after they graduate, whatever that looks like? Ideally, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Many of our mentors do remain in contact. I actually just heard from a mentor who went to a wedding shower for a mentee who graduated from our program a little while ago. So many of them do continue to stay in contact just because of that bond they built. And we found that mentors who had a longer time with their mentee while they were in the program are more likely to encourage that, right? If it's a newer relationship and that individual moves away, they might not stay in contact. But we've had mentees and mentors who have been matched for four plus years, you know, and that's not a relationship that's going to disappear just because they've graduated from our program. One of the things I wanted to ask you to explain, if you would, you had mentioned protective factors previously. For the listeners who may not be aware of what that term means, could you please explain what protective factors are? Yeah, there's so many things that can help an individual really build up their resilience. And these are referred to as protective factors. So they're ways that help to keep that individual kind of on the right path and on the right track. That might be having a purpose, having a schedule, 
having extracurriculars and activities that they're involved in, really helping occupy that young person's time in a really beneficial way. And having a positive adult role model is one of the strongest protective factors in having an individual to turn to when times are tough and someone who can really help you kind of navigate those challenges that that young person might be facing. All right. So one of the things I did want to follow up on has to do with the age that you start providing services to young people in foster care. You had mentioned that you start as young as 14 years old. Why do you start so early? Why don't you wait until, say, they're a senior in high school, 17 years old? The younger that we can start teaching them these independent living skills, the better the outcomes is what we have found. We want them to feel safe and comfortable with us so that we have a relationship with them before that transition out of foster care happens. And we can kind of seamlessly continue our support during that process. Additionally, having a positive role model, there's never a bad time for that. But we focused on the teenage because mainly they're the hardest ones statistically to find placements for, and they might need the most support. Our goal, though, is to work with them as soon as possible and help them connect to the learning opportunities that we provide. All right. Thank you. Well, my next question has to do with how you find the young people. Do you get referrals from agencies? Do young people self-refer? What does that look like? We receive referrals from everyone. There's a lot of word of mouth again, which is our favorite, which means our participants like what they're experiencing with us. And so they tell their friends about it, who they might know through other foster care initiatives. We receive referrals from DHHS. We receive referrals from Washtenaw Community College's REACH program, which REACH helps youth who have experienced foster care as well. Eastern has a similar program called MAGIC, and they send us referrals. We also receive referrals from through the courts, the juvenile justice system, the jails, even just People in the community who have heard of us and meet somebody who has experienced foster care have just sent them along and we're not even sure how they found out about us. (laughs) So we're not picky about who sends it. It's just the process to get in is pretty standardized. All right. And do you have any challenges making sure that you have a mentor for every young person who you take into your program? Sometimes. As you mentioned, finding male mentors in particular, but mentors in general, there are ebbs and flows to when people decide that they want to do that. We've not reached a point where we've turned people away. We've had to put a pause on accepting new referrals and had some folks that have been waitlisted, but it's never lasted more than a couple of months before we've been able to find them a match. So on the rare occasions when you do have a young person who can't be matched right away, what happens? During that period, they are supported by our staff. So they're still working with us. They just don't have their mentor yet. But our youth specialist, Mac Wagoner, is wonderful as a support until that person can be found. Okay. And of the young people that you do serve, how many are actually living in your launch pad housing situation right now? Currently, we only have two. It was full throughout the majority of the pandemic. And right now we have two young women who are working with our resident manager and living there. All right. For the young people who aren't living in your launch pad housing, what are their living situations like? Are they staying with foster parents? Do they have their own apartments? Or is it really a mix? What does that look like? 
It definitely varies. The vast majority of our youth are college students. And so they live in shared rental places, apartments or homes somewhere near the college. We do have some that are still with their foster families, even after they've exited care. Some of the families have allowed them to stay on. And we have others who have that have reconnected with their biological families and are living with them. But mostly I would say that they have their own places and due to the high cost of living, several roommates (laughs) usually. Okay. Well, I did also want to follow up on the host home situation that you provide for young people aging out of foster care. This is really an interesting model that you have, and I don't know that a lot of programs have it. So I'm really interested in knowing more about that. I imagine there would be some concerns among some people listening about how you actually get people who are in the host homes prepared to house young people who have aged out of foster care? For example, would you do background checks? Would you provide any training such as trauma-informed training? I'm really interested in hearing more about how you actually set that up. All of our hosts have volunteered and are deeply screened. We have turned folks away just because we felt like it wouldn't be the best fit or we had concerns that the individual's motivation was more to have someone who would do chores around the house or something along those lines. We do background checks. We do screening for through DHHS and their site. We also do a home visit. They have to go through all the mentor training plus additional supportive training for hosts only. So they get the basics of trauma-informed care, helping somebody to live with poverty. And then once they've been matched with the youth, there's an extensive interviewing process to make sure that both parties feel comfortable. And then we guide them through the process of creating guidelines for harmonious living, like the kitchen is available, but please don't touch my peanut butter and creating the little and big rules that'll make it a smoother transition for them to live together. And then we provide case management support throughout the entire process. Additionally, that young person who is placed in the host home with us also has a mentor. So there's a lot of supportive adults that are wrapped around that housing situation. It's still a relatively new program for us. And we just finished our first pilot one and it went very, very well. And the young person is now stably housed in her own apartment with a roommate that she reported yesterday she absolutely loves. So our first one was a success and we are currently recruiting for additional hosts. Wow. Well, I wish you all the best with that model. It really is intriguing. I know at Aging Out Institute, we have considered the idea of some kind of Airbnb for young people who have aged out of foster care to help them find some temporary living arrangements while they figure out their own life situation and get housing for themselves. So I really am excited about this concept and I wish you absolutely all the best with it. HUD is calling it one of the most promising responses to youth homelessness. And so far, like I said, we've only matched one and supported them through the process, but it went swimmingly well. And we are very hopeful that this will continue to be the trend. We give them up to six months, but it could be definitely more of an Airbnb short-term stay as long as the youth is somebody that we're pretty familiar with. We do want to make sure that everybody in that situation is safe. So there is a lot of, we need time to onboard and and go through that process. But we're very excited about this program. Well, let me ask you this. 
you offer several different areas of services. You've mentioned mentoring, life skills, housing, and resiliency. If you had to choose one that has the biggest impact on young people, what would you say that area of services would be? Mentoring. Yeah. I mean, all of our programs are great. I obviously, as the ED, I have to say that, but I actually genuinely believe it. But our mentoring program, I don't know if you can replace that one person that you can turn to. No matter what, last night, we had a young person who recently went through a move and she's dealing with some separation anxiety from significant people in her life. She was able to call up our staff and her mentor and she had support in that moment where her mental health was unstable. That is extremely powerful and and that's what our mentoring program offers. And even if it's not a mental health crisis, it's, hey, can you take a look at this lease and make sure that I, you know, things are happening the way that they're supposed to and that this is a good deal for me? Or can you come to court with me because I have some immigration or criminal justice things? Having that person, I think that that has most value out of everything that we do. All right. Let me ask you this question now. What do you think would be an opportunity for the foster care system to make improvements so that these young people who are in foster care, if they have to age out, are better prepared to do so? Where do you think might be an opportunity for some improvement and what might that look like? I actually participated in a training very recently through DHHS regarding a pilot model that they're using called the team decision-making model. When CPS is called in and there is the potential to remove a child from a family's home, within 24 to 48 hours, a team is called together. And that team includes agencies like ours who may not be already attached to the family, but could provide some support. But also the family has the opportunity to bring in their support. And everybody comes together to discuss the situation. I think that That is a huge help. Getting everybody on the same page from the first might reduce the amount of people that have to be removed and put in foster care in general. And also maybe reunification would happen sooner and more often. I think also one of the bigger things that we should be focusing on and that we in our house do is transition planning. As our youth are aging toward that 25-year, 26-birthday mark, we begin what we call the transition process. And I know that they're also doing this in the foster care system. Finding stable and affordable housing, I think, needs to be the priority of that transition process, but also working to help the individual learn the life skills themselves. And Alyssa can tell you a little bit more about our thoughts on that. Yeah, I definitely think increasing a focus on those independent living skills is such a huge piece of it. We have many young people who come to us and have never made their own doctor's appointment or really managed their own health care, don't know how to build a budget or do home maintenance skills. And so we're very intentional about our focus on helping these young people acquire these life skills. And we think that the foster care system could continue to improve upon itself by really focusing on that and focusing on helping these young people acquire these skills at a younger age so that when they're released from foster care, they have these skills, they know how to make a budget, they know how to make their own appointments and can be more confident in their ability to navigate independently. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it seems to me that there would be an opportunity with the technology that we have today to provide young people life skills training online, right? Some kind of centralized life skills training for foster youth, at least some of the skills, some of the knowledge pieces. But I also think with the technology that 
maybe we don't need the geographic barriers that we have when we're talking about social workers and their assignments to young people. You know, maybe somebody who is a social worker could be assigned to a foster youth and no matter where they go, they could remain that person, that young person's social worker throughout their stay in foster care. It's just something else that was just crossing my mind as an opportunity for improvement. Yeah, absolutely. And in the foster care system is so overwhelmed. You know, we work very closely with workers at DHHS and they have huge caseloads and all of that. One of the things we find is that a lot of our young people are dependent on an adult to do these things for them, right? That's kind of where they've been at. And so one of the focuses that I reinforce with our mentors is that our mentors are there to do these tasks with the young person. They're not there to fix their problems or to make an appointment for them. It's really to do it with them. And I think oftentimes DHHS workers can be in a bind and that sometimes it's quicker just to do things, you know, and they have so much going on that that's what happens. And we really need to focus on doing these activities with our young people so that they're gaining these skills for when they do become more independent. One of the themes that we have at our Launchpad program is what would you do if I wasn't here? So they can rely on us to help them, but we also want to reinforce the idea that you should be able to do it without our support. So we'll do it with you the first time and then we'll watch you do it the second time. But what would you do if you didn't have us to call so that they're prepared? All right. Well, I hate to say it, but we're coming to the end of our time together. If somebody who's listening to this podcast were interested in donating to your organization, how would they make that happen? Donations can be made through our website, through PayPal, which is www.ourhousemi.org. And we are also having a Facebook Live event on May 25th, Stay at Your House for Our House, where we will be doing... We'll have a variety of videos and interviews with the people that we serve and our volunteers and board and staff to let people in the community know a little bit more about our program and hopefully encourage them to open their wallets so that we can keep doing the work that we do. Well, one of the things that AOI can do for you when you're prepared to send something out is to distribute a notice about the event to our Facebook and Twitter followers. I would be happy to make that happen for you. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much. All right. To wrap up our podcast, I'm going to ask each of you, if you would, to answer the following question. And Alyssa, I'll toss this to you first. What do you love the most about working with the young people at our house? The resiliency and joy of the young people that we serve. I have never worked with a population that is more resilient than youth who have experienced foster care and have an incredible drive to better themselves, to better their lives. I just see so much drive and ambition in the young people that we serve, and it really motivates me every single day to come to work and to be in support of them because I know how hard they are working for themselves, and I want to work equally hard to help support them, uplift them, and empower them to achieve their goals. All right. Thank you, Alyssa. Natasha, how about you? What do you love the most about your organization? The capacity for love that I see from everybody that is involved in our organization, from the board to the participants, every volunteer and all of our staff, there is such a large capacity for love and connection. And when we are together, whether that be virtually or in person, there is genuine feeling of 
love and safety and affection amongst our group. And I love that we get to offer that for them. And I love that we love each other. So as cheesy as it sounds, our youth have people from staff and their mentors I know that go home every night and are thinking about them. They are loved. All right. Well, thank you both so much. I am really excited about all the work that you do with young people who are aging out of foster care and the new programs that you're starting and piloting. And I'm just really hopeful that all of that works so smoothly and well for you and for the young people, of course. So thank you again very much for participating in the podcast series. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Lynn. For those of you who have listened to the podcast to the very end, thank you very much. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so, so you can continue to listen on whatever podcast distribution site you go to, or you can go to our website at agingoutinstitute.org and look for the podcasts. We are also announcing that for those who appreciate these podcasts and find value in them, you can become a patron on Patreon now. Just go to our podcast page on our website, agingoutinstitute.org, and look for the button that will take you to our Patreon site. Thank you very much for considering it. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <music>